Well, he is risen. <laughs> this is a new resurrection day this year. Um, and we'll talk about that more here in a few moments. I did want to share with you something, though, that I thought maybe some of you have wondered about that song. In the second verse, toward the end of the second verse, it says the angels listen to a song they cannot sing. And that might sound interesting to you. Um, on the one hand, you'll never find an instance of angels singing in Scripture. So there's that. We don't know if angels can sing. That'll be an interesting Bible study for you to look at. But there's another aspect to that, and this is from Hebrews 2. It says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise, Jesus, also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through their fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives." So this is talking about Jesus freeing human beings from sin through his death. And listen to this. Verse 16 says, For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. He doesn't help the angels. He helps those made in his image, human beings, those made in the image of God. And angels not being made in the image of God cannot be redeemed. They're either elect meaning they stay angels forever, or they turn into demons, which already happened. So, that's what that line's all about. We can sing uniquely among all of God's creation that we are redeemed. No other creature, not even an angel, can sing that. Pretty cool, huh? All right, well, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we'll be today. And... Uh, we are going to discuss the resurrection and what that means for our redemption, how we can have confidence saying that we are redeemed because of the resurrection. Today's message is titled, The Certainty of Our Hope, The Certainty of Our Hope. And I know there are several this morning that can't make it who would love to be here with us. I think of the Danas who are in Moab, and we'll see them soon. Uh, the Bussians are hopefully watching this morning, so if you're watching, hi, Wayne, hi, Mary Grace. <laughs> uh, if not, then you'll, hopefully you'll see that later. Um, think of Stan and Renee and others who would love to be here but can't. Remember them in your prayers and lift them up, hold them up before the throne. 1 Corinthians 15 is where we'll be, and before we read through, why don't we open with another word of prayer? Father, we thank you again so much for all of the wonderful gifts you've given us. We thank you supremely for salvation, that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have certain hope, that we have the forgiveness of sins, that we have a promised future inheritance. Lord, thank you. Just as we sang to open the service today, thank you. We were once your enemies, and now we're seated at your table, and we thank you. Lord, I ask that today this message would be encouraging and edifying for each one of us, that we would leave here today being built up by the authority and the power of your word, that we would 
have our hearts more closely knit to one another and to you, that the gospel would just have an amazing work and effect on our souls today. And Lord, despite my fallen condition that I have by nature and by choice, I ask that you would use me to build up your people, to make your word clear to them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to mention, too, that uh, another name I forgot, that though they're not here, uh, the communion bread was still courtesy of Mike and Beth Smith. And aren't we thankful that we have the best communion bread this side of the Mississippi, right? So, um, thinking of them, too. Well, let's look, starting in verse 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting in verse 16, we're just jumping into the middle of Paul's uh, line of reasoning about the resurrection, and we just want to see a snippet of this big, bigger message. So I would encourage you, as we are celebrating the resurrection today, I would encourage you on your own time, some point today, sit down on your phone or with your Bible, uh, physical Bible, and go to 1 Corinthians 15 and read through the whole chapter to be encouraged what, what it says about the resurrection. But let's jump in and look at verses 16 through 21 together. It says, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 16, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. We, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. Starting in verse 16, we are given a hypothetical situation from Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a hypothetical problem that leads to a series of dark consequences. And the problem is right there in verse 16, where it says, if the dead are not raised, if there is no resurrection, if there's no such thing as resurrection, not even Christ has been raised. No resurrections. That's what the Sadducees believed in this day. That was a very prominent group within Judaism, a prominent group of Jews named the Sadducees. You see their name all over the Gospels. Jesus was always dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Sadducees believed there was no resurrection. And then you think about our day, it's pretty popular now, too, to believe there is no resurrection. But instead, we're just bags of atoms that go into the ground, and that's it. That all of our thoughts, all of our emotions... Anything that we consider immaterial, it's just a chemical reaction. It's no different than a fizzing bottle of soda that I would put up here. Chemical reactions, that's all we are. There is no resurrection. You go into the grave, you perish, and that's it. I would say that especially in our nation, this belief, and it is still a belief, this belief that there is nothing else after death is quite prominent. And Paul says here, look, if that's the case, look at verse 17. 
the end of 16 and into 17. If that's the case, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. So if there's no resurrection, Jesus is in a grave somewhere. And do you know what kind of damage that does to Christianity if Jesus is in a grave somewhere? It totally eradicates Christianity. It erases Christianity. Christianity has no substance. But instead, Christianity is just another book on a shelf of ideas. If Christ is in a grave somewhere, it would ruin everything. And if Christ is in a grave somewhere, it says, verse 17 again, that our faith is worthless and we are still in our sins. We are stuck in our sins. Notice Paul doesn't even entertain the thought of a godless universe where there's no morality, where, okay, if Christ was just a man, then, you know, maybe there is no God and maybe there's no such thing as sin and maybe we should all just do whatever we want. He doesn't go that far. He still maintains that there is such a thing as sin, that there, there is a God and there is judgment. He would never think of going so far in the hypothetical as to remove the idea that we're sinners. And the problem is, if Christ has not been raised, you're stuck in your sinfulness. You have your sinfulness still. There is such a thing as sin still, and you're stuck. You're still in your sins. And he goes on to say in verse 18, And those who have died in Christ, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. And because the reality of God is still there, because the reality of our sinfulness is still there, if you take away the resurrection, then those who have fallen asleep professing Christ, they've perished, not that they've vanished in the grave, but they've been judged by God. If you've hoped in Christ alone for forgiveness of sin and Christ has not been raised, you're going to hell because you're still a sinner and God is still real. And He's the perfect judge. And if that's the case, verse 19, we are of all men most to be pitied. We're a pitiful bunch if this is the case because we have hoped in Christ alone. Notice it says in 19, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, not meaning in another life you don't hope in Christ. So it's only this life you hope in Christ, and maybe in the next life, you know, you'll pick a different route. That's not what this is saying. That's saying in this one life you get, you have put all of your 401k into one stock, stock Jesus. All in Jesus, because everything that you believe and everything you're hoping for is banking on a risen Jesus. And if that's not the case, what are we doing? What are we doing? Think of some of those famous companies that have just nosedived, like Enron or whatever. Taking all your savings, all your money, and putting it into a stock that just crashes and you lose it all. Pitiful, isn't it? That man is most to be pitied. We've done that spiritually with all that we have, all that we are. If we are Christians, we've put it all in Jesus. We've set it all aside in Christ, and all of our hope is in Jesus. But if He isn't risen, 
because there's a certainty about our sinful state and because there's a certainty about God as judge, if Jesus isn't risen, we are of most to be pitied. What we find in this text is just as there is certainty here about our sinful condition, and just as there is certainty about God as judge, look what else there's certainty about in verse 20. You think Paul was certain? But now Christ has been raised from the dead. He has been raised just as it is certain that we are in need of a risen Savior. It is certain that our Savior has risen. Christ has been raised. It's an absolutely certain reality. It's something that we cannot be wrong about. Think about that. One of the things I want us to consider here this morning is how in our world so often we have faith and reality set, us, set apart from one another, that faith is something that isn't necessarily tied to reality, that people have faith, so that means they're just investing in fairy tales. That is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is the only way by which you can make sense of reality. It's the only way that you have access into reality. You remember what Colossians says about Jesus? That in Him are hidden all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. We don't have access to understanding the universe we're living in apart from Christ. So let's not consider faith or hope as something that, you know, we're just not sure you, you have all these religions, spin the wheel, pick one. It's not the case. Because Jesus has been raised. Because Jesus is living, and it is by His power that we have access to understanding the world we live in. There's a faith element in all of this, certainly, because we can't see Him. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas? when Thomas needed to feel the risen Savior. And he says, you, having seen, believe. More blessed are those who haven't seen and yet still believe. That takes faith. What is the definition of faith in Hebrews 11? It's the substance of things hoped for, things not seen. It's invisible to us, the substance of our faith. But just because it's invisible, that doesn't mean it's not real. People rely on invisible things all the time. Have you used a radio lately? Point to the radio waves, can you? Can you do it? You used logic and reasoning today, didn't you? You used a clock to let you know what time it was. Can you point to where time is in this room? Just because those things are invisible, that doesn't mean they're not real. We have faith in an invisible God, the God who dwells in unapproachable light, and He is more real than anything we've ever known in this life. And we can be absolutely certain in our God, in Jesus' resurrection, in the Christian faith. For the Christian, Jesus was raised for our justification. This is in Romans, the end of Romans 4. Jesus was raised for our justification. Remember that word justification. It means uh, to be declared innocent, that you've been brought before a judge and the judge has declared you innocent. Well, Scripture says that Jesus was resurrected that we might be declared innocent. 
And let's look back up at verse 18 to kind of round out that thought. Remember, verse 18 says, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have hoped in Christ and then died, if He is not risen, then they have perished. And why is that? Because our merits before God, our ticket to heaven, so to speak, our admission is based on the merits of Jesus that He lives. If our merits were based on some dead guy, we have no merits. But if Jesus is who He said He was, God Himself, and He is living, and we get our merits from Him, then we can be declared innocent. Then we can be justified. Then we can stand before God and sing His praises eternally, completely innocent and righteous in His sight. There is no righteousness to be imputed to us if capital R righteousness is still in a grave somewhere. But capital R righteousness, Jesus Himself, walked out of the grave. Therefore, that righteousness is imputed to us, and our righteousness is His righteousness. It's a living righteousness. It's a vibrant righteousness that God reckons on our account. And all of creation is directly impacted by this display of Christ's lordship. It's not just humans, though we are the only ones who can be redeemed, as I said earlier. All of creation is still affected, it's still impacted by Christ's resurrection. It says in Romans 8 that in the end, all of creation will be set free from slavery to sin. Isn't that amazing? Trees, trees will be set free from slavery to sin. And you think, how can a tree be in bondage to unrighteousness? Trees die, don't they? Trees rot, don't they? Trees are imperfect, aren't they? They're, they've fallen short of God's perfection when He created all things. Every tree was perfect. No tree would die. All the creatures in the world would, would live and thrive. There was no death. And now we live in a world that's kind of characterized by dog-eat-dog. Dog. It's kind of characterized by things aren't the way they should be. And yet, all of creation, because Jesus is alive, all of creation will be released from that bondage, and we will go back to a perfect Eden, never to return to a fallen earth. Not only that, but every human being will be raised. That's a consequence of Jesus' resurrection. And I want us to see this in the book of John. Keep your finger here, but turn back to John 5. John chapter 5, we'll start at verse 25. Look at what Jesus said about His resurrection and about the impacts it would have on other human beings. John chapter 5, starting at verse 25. Jesus taught, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Verse 26. For just as the Father has life in Himself, even so He gave to the Son also to have life in Himself, and He gave Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Verse 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and will come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed evil deeds, to a resurrection of judgment. Different 
results of those resurrections. Keep your finger in John and just stay in John. I'll actually just read to you from Revelation 20. I want you to hear these words. Don't, don't turn there with me. Revelation 20 speaks of this event also, about the resurrections Jesus was referring to. It says in Revelation 20, starting at verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the Word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. Verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and Him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Verse 13 And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, which which is the lake of fire. Verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So just as Jesus taught us in John 5, all will hear His voice and come forth from the tomb. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life, that's one type of resurrection. Those who did evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Daniel chapter 12 talks about this too. Daniel 12, 1 and 2, you can write that down as a reference. In the Old Testament, we see this very idea. And you might think, well, that doesn't sound very gospel-y, does it? Good deeds, then you get a resurrection of life? What, what was all that talk about Christ's merits? Whose merits are we relying on for this resurrection? Well, look at John 6. Turn the page. Go to the next chapter. John chapter 6. Start with me in verse 28. John 6, verse 28. Crowds speaking to Jesus. They said to him, John 6, 28, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him who He has sent. What's the best deed you could ever do? Probably the work of God. And what did Jesus teach us was the work of God? To believe in the one whom he has sent. When it's opened up at the end to reveal all of our deeds, this book, what deeds do you want listed there? How about, I believed in Jesus, (laughs) that God saved me, that God caused me to be born again to a living hope, and that all of my trust is resting on Jesus' works. That's the work of God. 
believing in Jesus Christ and His resurrection. Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians 15. It says in verse 20 that this resurrected Christ is the firstfruits of those who are asleep. The firstfruits of those who are asleep. Now, we don't partake in the feast of firstfruits like the Jews did, but that was a celebration every year where they would take the first of the harvest and they would bring it to the temple and it would be dispersed as needed and it was used to be set apart for the Lord. The very first of the harvest was set aside before the rest of the harvest came. So how is Jesus the first fruits? He's the first resurrection of the harvest. And there's a harvest coming. There are more resurrections coming. And you might think, if you know your Bible, well, there were other people that were resurrected in Scripture. You've got instances in the Old Testament. You've got instances in Jesus' very own ministry where people were resurrected. So how could Jesus be the first fruits? What about Lazarus, right? No one was raised like Jesus was raised because Jesus was raised to never die again. Everyone else up to this point who had been resurrected died again, and they went into the grave. But Jesus rose again. It was a Trinitarian resurrection. He was raised by the power of the Father. He was raised by the power of the Spirit, and He raised Himself. All three are listed in the New Testament. It was a Trinitarian resurrection to never die again, that He had final victory over the grave. And it's the first fruits. Because one of these days, it could be said of you that you have been resurrected, that you were a part of the harvest initiated by your Lord Jesus Christ. The first fruits. And it says in verse 21 that just as through Adam, what fruits did Adam give us? Well, he gave us death. By a man came death. What does Jesus give us? Resurrection. Resurrection. Adam gives us death. Jesus gives us life, resurrection. And because of Christ's certain victory over the grave, we have certain hope. We have real hope. We don't have something that is up to chance, but we have something that is certain. And Paul goes on to make this connection in this very chapter, but I want us to see it in a different chapter. Turn forward just a few pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4, one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. I love 2 Corinthians. Uh, it's the most underrated book in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians. It's got so much good stuff. And I want us to see a really big chunk of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 5. As... Sinful human beings have been forgiven by God and united to Christ and have come to know their resurrected Savior who is living today. They've been given a new life. Christians have been given a new life. And that's what we see starting in verse 5. Let's look at verses 5 and 6 of 2 Corinthians 4. It says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Memorize those verses. Memorize those. Not, I'm not asking you to consider it. I'm saying memorize those. Those are good, good verses. This is talking about conversion. 
how God chooses the weak in the world, the foolish in the world, to make them strong, to make them wise in Christ. He converts them, He transfers them out of darkness into light. The redeemed, if you're sitting here this morning as a Christian, the redeemed, like you and me, have become members of a new covenant initiated, inaugurated by the blood of Jesus. We've entered into this new life because of our risen Savior. And look at verse 6 again where it says, God has shown in our hearts His light. Just as in Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. When you come to know Jesus and you are saved, you're converted, God says again, let there be light. It's a creative activity of God. You are a new creation. It says in the same book, next chapter, you're a new creation. God Himself is light. We see that in the book of 1 John. God is light. And it says here in verse 6, that knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ is light. We come to know light Himself, God, through the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. See how this can't be wishy-washy, leaving it up to chance? See how knowledge of a certain reality is central to having light in your heart? You see how God, who Himself is light, uses knowledge to shine on you, to make you uh, no longer reckoned a sinner, but to consider you as a child, to set His love on you, to make you new? There has to be certainty about this. What is knowledge if we're not sure? But Christ has been raised, it says. Jesus is who He said He was. And through that knowledge of the gospel, we see the face of Christ. We don't see Him face to face like we are right now. And I'm so thankful that we can see each other face to face right now. This has been more encouraging for me than it has been for you probably, just to be right here. We don't see Jesus like this yet. But through the gospel, we do see His face clearly, don't we? Through the gospel, we see Jesus just as those Israelites were surrounding Mount Sinai when God gave the Ten Commandments and they saw the smoke, they saw the pillar of fire, they heard His voice. They didn't see anything, it says. But you know what else it says? God spoke to them face to face. God spoke to them face to face. They didn't see His face. We don't see His face. But we do in the gospel, don't we? We see the light of God in the face of Christ. We see God's glory in the gospel. And just as Christ on that resurrection morning filled that dark grave with light, so He enters your heart and makes His abode there and fills your dark heart with His light. He says, let there be light. And from the inside out now, we have this treasure. We're being renewed through the gospel, through the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Though we do not see Him, we know Him. And we have a great future 
I want us to read from verse 7 to the end of the chapter. It says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surprise, surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Verse 13, But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our inner man is decaying, yet our inner man is being, or our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. See what I mean about 2 Corinthians? It's just like a really good sandwich. (laughs) Uh, No, it's better than that. It's like living bread, right? That you just uh, consume and God does a work in your heart. The Christian's future is a bright future. Verse 7 says that God gives us a treasure. We have treasure in earthen vessels, it says. Earthen vessel is maybe the best thing that someone might say about your body, right? You've got a treasure in that earthen vessel. And this happens, God gives it to you when you believe the gospel. And I want to explain the gospel because even though I've explained it so many times to so many of you, this might be the first time you actually hear it. The gospel is understanding that we are fallen, sinful creatures, that there is a God, that He is judge, and by our own will, we have rebelled against Him. We've done things that were not right on purpose because we desired to serve ourselves more than we desired to serve Him naturally. And yet, this God, whom we sinned against, did not leave us in our sins. But he took on human flesh and appeared on earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Truly God, truly man. He lived a perfect life, the only human who has never sinned. Jesus walked this earth living a perfect life, God in flesh. And what does sinful man do? Sinful man hated him. Sinful man hated him so much they wanted to see him dead. And so he was wrongfully persecuted. He was put through a trial, and he was pronounced 
the God of the universe, the only truly innocent one ever, was pronounced guilty by guilty men. Jesus was sentenced to die on a cross, execution, nails through his hands, nails through his feet, put forth as a public display of sinful guilt. And we understand through the Scriptures that he was doing that in our place. He was getting what we deserved. He willfully and humbly accepted our death that he did not deserve, but we did. And he was placed in a grave. After he breathed his last, they carried the body away. They placed him in a grave. But we are here today to proclaim that he did not stay in that grave. That he walked out of that grave. That he displayed, just as they put him up on a cross as a display of sin and guilt, he walked out of that grave as a display that he is God, that he is authoritative, that he is perfect, that he is the capital L, life. That he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And he walked this earth for 40 more days. He ascended into heaven, standing at the right hand of the Father. And he has been given a crown and taken on the name which is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And that's the one action item that comes out of the gospel. So often people want a list. Tell me what to do. Tell me how to make it better. Give me the list and I'll start checking them off. Here's the one action item. Repent. Turn from your sin that you love so much. I know you do. You've got hearts like mine. You love that stuff that you're supposed to hate. Turn from it. That doesn't mean stop doing it and be perfect the rest of your life, but stop looking at it, stop enjoying it, but instead enjoy Christ. Can you see Him in the gospel? Can you see the empty grave? Do you have a love and a passion for Jesus that far outweighs any passion you might have for the things He hates? He gave us a law. He outlined sin. He told us what was righteous and what was unrighteous. And we spit in His face and we liked it. But you today can come before Him and and say, Lord, I am wrong. I am sinful. I cannot make this right. And you can ask the Lord Jesus to forgive you today. You can ask the Lord of glory, the one who made the heavens and the earth, the one who doesn't need us but wants us. You can tell him that you want him. And you can be born again. You will be made a new creation. And you can declare with the rest of us, with Paul, that though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. Because what's inside now? When you have been united to God through the gospel, what's inside? Springs of living water flowing up to eternal life. You have joy that this world will never understand. You have a love that only God could give. And this is the first work that God does in a Christian's life. And you think, 
Is there anything else that we could ask for? Is there anything else that we could ever need? That's just the first work. There's a second work coming. And in between the first and second work, by the way, is a whole lot of sanctification, a whole lot of learning about what God desires, a whole lot of submitting your will to His day by day until you breathe your last. And then there comes a second work, resurrection, glorification, being brought out of the grave just as Jesus was, being given a new body, being uh, just walking in a total newness of life, and being with the presence of God in heaven. We're waiting for a true glorification of the whole body. Look at verse 14 again with me of chapter 4, verse 14. It says quite plainly, He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. We will be raised to be together with an eternal family of God for the glory of God. And because all of this rests on the reality of Christ's resurrection, our hope is certain. Because Jesus' resurrection is certain. That means your salvation is certain. That means that your resurrection is certain. That means that your hope is certain. You can't be wrong about your hope in Jesus. Like I said earlier, much of the world believes that faith and reality should be kept distinct. But God's Word teaches us that the Christian faith is the only way anyone can understand reality. There will be people out in the world who will tell you, I won't believe it unless I can put it under a microscope. i got to be able to see it with my own eyes. To which we reply, there's no way that you can understand what's under that microscope if Jesus is still in the grave. You can't make sense of this world. You can't make sense of how everything's held together without the one who holds all things together. Our hope is certain because it's in Jesus. Our faith is not a fairy tale. Our faith comports with reality. The substance of our faith is the invisible God who is clearly seen, not just by us, but by all. And so many suppress that truth and replace it with wickedness. But God calls them to repent. The incarnation of the Son of God and His resurrection are facts of history. And we're united to God by ceasing to rebel against the Lord and embracing Him by faith alone. This future in Christ must change the way we live. Let's look at the last two verses, 17 and 18. This reality of Christ must change the way we live here and now. Think about what our world's going through right now and hear these words. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Whoa! Far beyond all comparison. Eternal weight of glory. Are you an eternal being? Is this resonating with you? Don't hear it like like a primate. Hear it like someone who has a soul. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. How do we get renewed? We look at things invisible. 
For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Just as this is a new resurrection day on the Payson Bible Church calendar. Okay, this, we usually don't celebrate this in May. Just as there's a new one this year for us, there will be another new resurrection day in the future when all of God's people will be raised from the grave, that we will join Him and be together with Him in the clouds. And what a glorious resurrection day that'll be. And that reality changes the way we see the world because we see the unseen. We see the face of Christ. In the reality of the gospel, we see Jesus The world doesn't see him. The world doesn't know him. But we do because of the work he has done in us through the gospel. Because we've been united to Christ by faith. We are living already, right now, we are living an eternal life. Therefore, we need to think in terms of eternity. So many people right now with this pandemic, so many people are scared out of their minds because their hope is in this world alone. Start taking away the things of this world and people get fearful. They get very scared. They don't have eternal life. They should be scared. But what do we have? We have the eternal weight of glory in our future. We need to think in terms of eternity. We're united to the invisible God, therefore... We should look at things that are invisible. We should look to the triune God. We should look to human souls. We should look to the work that God is doing in the world. We should see that as Christians. If we're not seeing that, then we're not seeing God. We see the face of Jesus when we see the unseen, when we think in terms of eternity. And our passion in this life, as followers of Jesus and as ambassadors for Jesus, our passion should be for human souls. So do you know Him? And if you do, do you care if others know Him? Because our resurrected Lord changes everything. He has changed us, and He will change others. And in this moment, though so many people are scared because they were they're without hope in the world. That's a phrase from Scripture. Since they're without hope in the world, we can stand strong on the foundation of Christ and know that before we lived any of our days, they were all written in God's book, weren't they? We should have certainty when it comes to our hope. Father, Again, we thank you because this is all you're doing. You have been so kind to us, so gracious, so full of mercy, so full of perfect love. Give us confidence in the certainty of our hope because all of our hope is wrapped up in Jesus. And by Him and His resurrection, we have knowledge and wisdom. We have this weight of eternal glory. We have life. Build us up today. Make our hearts swell with love for Jesus. Cause us 
to see more of you and to see less of this panic-stricken world, that we would serve you faithfully to our last breath. Amen. Well, amen. Let's stand. 387. The song goes perfectly with the message today. 387. Because he lives, we'll see him again. We can face tomorrow. We can face uncertain days. And we will be together with him in eternity. All because he lives. 387. This is the time where we get to see Christ face to face. The risen Savior, the one we heard about today, the one that we took of His body and His blood, the one that shed His blood for your sin. One day, we'll cross that river and get to see Him face to face. If that doesn't give you chills this morning, 
you're not breathing or you're not saved. You haven't put your trust in Him. If that is you, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ this morning, please come and talk to one of us. We would love to sit down and share with you the truth of His Word. But it is for those of us that have put our faith and trust in Him. One day, we will see our risen Savior. Verse 3. <clears throat> and then one day, I'll cross a river. I'll find life's fine no more with pain. And then as death. Let's sing it one more time. Because you. He- 